And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, with The Athletic, he is a career-driven heartthrob. He's an intellectual. He's got a new whip. No, he's not Indiana Jones. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, man? <laughs> One of your best right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing great. I had the heartthrob is kind of hard to say when you're trying to get like some energy. You know, it's a little. <laughs> I, I found that out the hard way, but it's all good. Uh, we're recording this after the Tigers had come out the gates hot, like the Michigan summer after the All Star break with a seven game win streak, the best homestand since 2013. And best win streak since X amount of years ago of which the team was actually competitive. The bottom line is they're playing fun, competitive baseball. You were there for all those games. Uh, what were the ingredients, Cody, that led to that seven-game seven uh, win streak right out the gate after the All-Star break? Well, speaking of heat, number one, I'm, I'm really sick and tired of uh, people in Michigan complaining when it's like 84 or like 86 and yeah, it's been really humid. It rains like every day. I'm very tired of the rain. I can't even mow my lawn because any day I'm free, it just rains. So it's like a jungle right now. It's not great. But anyway, you know, just hearing a lot of complaints. Like, you guys got to toughen up. And now the Tigers, as we're recording this, are in KC and it's like 96. And people are like, how are you going to make sure the players are okay? So like, these are baseball players. <laughs> a lot of them are from the South or from like the Dominican Republic. Like, they play baseball in the summer. They can handle Hot it. They can, they can handle it. They're going to be just fine. Um, granted, I complain about the winter as much as anyone, but summertime, come on, people. Tough enough. Uh, in terms of the hot play on the baseball diamond, yeah, it was a really good uh, home stand by the Tigers. Actually, their best since 2013. And I think the defining thing was just like clean play, confidence, well-rounded games. You just had this feeling every game of like, oh, they're they're going to win. They got the lead early in a lot of those games, and it was like, okay, they're they're gonna hang on to it, um, or or if not, it was like they're gonna come back and score. It was this weird sense of confidence in this team. Um, where the play all around was a lot more clean than it has been. You got good pitching. Your bullpen was phenomenal for the most part. Uh, so I think you know. You had a nice blend of some power and then a little bit of small ball or manufacturing some runs. I think it all um, came together to create that winning streak. There wasn't one thing that really stood out. It was how well-rounded everything was for that seven-game winning streak. And not that this is a new concept or anything, but power of the manager power of aj hinch that when you just have to say oh it wasn't anything that special it was just well-rounded baseball i mean that's aj hinch to a t like that's the aj hinch effect to a t and it, it just another example of being able to see some practical results you and i talk all the time about development not being linear neither is establishing a culture we know how cliche that whole notion of establishing a culture is i'll tell you what an established culture would do would start out beating teams you should beat out of the gate after a break after the all-star break and so that was really good to see uh last time we had talked we were really fresh off the summer baseball bash i'm just kind of curious i know it's all weekday so we got to take that in consideration what does it did it feel like maybe there's a little bit more traction fan-wise, a little bit more energy fan-wise outside of a special promotional event when the team is winning? There was a little bit more of an energy at the ballpark. The attendance numbers didn't get up super high. I think 16,000 might have been the biggest crowd. Again, it was weekdays. It was it was kind of a shame that the Tigers you know, went on the road this weekend coming off the seven-game win streak because I was thinking – Oh, Comerica Park is going to be a party this weekend if the Tigers were here. Um, unfortunately, that's not how the schedule works. I'll be interested to see what it's like the next time the Tigers play at home on a weekend. Um, I can definitely still tell more of an energy on social media. I mean, more people are reading my stories. There's, there's a palpable sense of momentum for sure. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it translates to seeing more people 
at the ballpark on weeknights here soon if the team continues to play well. Now, granted, the schedule gets a lot tougher in August. Injuries continue to pile up. So I wouldn't be shocked if things level off a little bit, but I hope we get a, a couple more of those nights like that that summer baseball bash where it was just an awesome atmosphere with, you know, 30 plus thousand people in the stands. And, and you know what? You might roll your eyes at this, but I think the fans will appreciate it. The, the two off the field highlights, but at the game highlights were one, Kate Cunningham being at the game after his draft visit and the chance of we want Kate. And then, I would probably say more important because he's actually on the team and he plays a more high-profile position. Jared Goff um, attending a Tigers game, getting uh, a shout-out from the fans. Uh, From someone who's a Detroit sports overall fan, those are things I really like to see when you kind of, I talked about it with the Bash, when you kind of can cross sports a little bit. And I always like it when players from say the lions become tigers fans like matt stafford always had a tigers hat on uh jared goff had himself a custom made detroit tigers jersey and i think that if you want to be the face of a franchise i think it's important for you to go about and be a supporter of the other sports teams because those people that support those sports teams more or less are also your paying customers that endears yourself to the community so um, as a Lions fan it doesn't translate to anything on the field obviously but it, it did it was nice to see Jared Goff sort of embracing Detroit sports culture and then Kate Cunningham getting a taste of it obviously the NBA draft is a couple days after this podcast will be published so I thought that added a little bit of flair to you know what otherwise would have would have been a little bit more staler of an environment given that they are weekday event baseball games against non-premier teams yeah i wish we'd stop talking about other sports and talk about baseball and like the tigers instead of some guy who's not even played a professional game yet and some quarterback who's like oh he's okay uh <laughs> well how about this how about this you did say on twitter which you can follow him at cody stavenhagen even Cade Cunningham thinks baseball is Exactly. Cool. I think that's big time. Cade went to the game. It looked like he stayed for most, if not all, of the game. So shout out Cade. I also do love that Cade talked about diving into Detroit music a little bit. He's already trying to get himself in touch with the city. So definitely props to Cade Cunningham. Um, people from Oklahoma State respect culture. They like to get to know the culture and the, the environment of a place. So he does deserve some big props for that. And yeah, there was a good energy at the ballpark. I, I followed uh, some Tigers fans on Twitter over the past week just to try to get a little more of a sense of of kind of the fan base and some of these younger fans out there. You got guys like Tony Dombrowski in this like Mises Glove Enthusiast account, which is a terrific account. Um, and it's been pretty cool to see how energetic those people are getting. And, and some of them are, are um, all aboard the Kate Cunningham train too. So yeah, you can you can sense that energy coming out among the people, and it's been fun to follow. Young people, and that's an important distinction as well. No offense to the to our elders, but the future of this game is not in their hands. Very the future, true. Yeah. The future, future of this game is among young people, and you know, for the past I don't know, fifteen, ten years or whatever, we keep getting notions about how baseball is losing its fans and like it doesn't attract young people. You just listed off a couple of, of, of young people that are heavily enthusiastic about baseball, about the Tigers, and I think that's a good sign. I think that's a good sign. So speaking of faces of the franchise, uh, you popped off this week with a uh, Akil Badu batting helmet won't fit story, which was, I thought, really neat. It was way more thoughtful than I th- than I ever thought it would be because... You know that that notion of just the helmet flying off—it it, just—it's—it's it's a rambunctious act, right? The the helmet flying off—it's a rambunctious act, and Akil's like, I tried to keep the helmet on, uh, but my hairstyle sometimes affects it. These this uh this size is too small, this size is too big, this size feels all right, and then it falls off. I don't know what to do, but I I, I was really entertained by Akil like really putting some thought behind. <laughs> Uh, like his helmet flying off, you just don't expect it. You know, I thought I thought it was really fun. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reporting that story. I just kind of had the idea after his helmet flew off for like the millionth time. I was like, he hasn't really talked about this since like the first game of the season. And it's just a thing now, you know, the crowd does, uh, the crowd goes crazy when he hits the ball. And then when he rounds first base and the helmet falls off, there's like a second wave of cheers. That's pretty cool. So I talked to Akil before the game one day and I was just like, all right, man, are, are you ever going to get a helmet that fits or is this just what we're rocking with now? You know, and I kind of, you know, he kind of, he was like, no, it's, it's like part of me now, but he was also like, no, I'm trying to get it to stay on, which I, I wasn't expecting. I thought it was funny. He did. He talked about um, using a smaller helmet for a few games and it was so tight it gave him a headache. And yeah, his different hairstyles have impacted it. He's getting DMs and texts from people like giving him different suggestions of how to get a helmet that stays on. He is concerned. Like, you know, I, I think I included a line about concerned mothers in the stands. There have been a couple times where he slides into second base and there's a throwdown from the catcher. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, he's come pretty close to getting hit a couple times. Um, and he's cognizant of that too and aware of it. And so he kind of has to balance like the distraction or safety risk of your helmet falling off. It can slow him down too. With the fact that the people love this and it's gone on for so long, it is absolutely um, a big part of his brand right now. So Akil was fun to talk to about it. He said to hit him up with more suggestions if you have a way his helmet can stay on. But, you know, I don't think the fans want his, his helmet to stay on at this point anymore. It's it's pretty fun to see the thing fly off, and it was fun to talk to Akil and, and get his thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I do love the, uh, the added... Uh, fan reaction whenever it does fall uh, fly off. I, th I thought that was really good. And, you know, speaking of the Tigers faithful on Twitter and Akil Badu, we're starting to see some pushes to the national baseball Twitter, for lack of a better term, to start including Akil Badu in any Rookie of the Year uh, pools, for lack of a better term. I think he's deserving of being talked about. You know, he's not going to get it, and there are a lot of deserving players this year. But I definitely think he deserves to be in that conversation, don't you? I mean, Akil is uh, second among American League position players in wins above replacement. So he, I guess I actually have a rookie of the year vote this year. Um, I would think I would include him in my top three for sure. I, I wouldn't list him number one. I'd Probably just based off the numbers, Adolis Garcia has been the most valuable rookie. And then there's kind of a long list of pitchers who are having good years, Casey Mize included. We'll see what he does for the rest of the second half. But um, I think I would vote Akil Badu number two or three right now, and the numbers totally support that. That's how good he has been. So speaking of another young cat, and those that are loyal listeners to this podcast which, by the way, thank you very much. Please subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify. If you don't, turning the corner, turning the corner podcast. You jinxed Derek Hill about a month ago, and mm -hmm. you were writing a story. You had talked to his father. It was this great, wholesome, you know, day for you and Derek. And then he bangs into the center field wall in Comerica Park, and. You know, and then you just had to drop it for a little bit. But it did publish this week. So do you feel a sense of closure now that you have this Derek Hill feature, this wonderful feature that you can read on The Athletic now that he's back, now that he's playing Derek Hill baseball? Yeah, a, a couple funny notes on that. I uh, His dad had posted some pictures, like one of, of him and Derek on the field, and they were both wearing Hill number 54 jerseys, and it was pretty cool. And I sent him a message just like, hey, is it cool if we use that picture? I'm finally going to run this story, assuming Derek doesn't hurt himself crashing into any more walls. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, my man, appreciate you, uh, which was cool. And then I saw Derek and his dad um, like on the street walking to my car after the game. And, and you see players do this from time to time. It might be a, a good story in itself. Derek was like loading up a, a bird scooter to uh, go back to wherever he's living. Some of the younger guys might still be living in hotels if, if they just now got called up. I don't know. I've seen a couple players do that before. I'm like, that's not what you think life is like as a Major League Baseball player. You probably don't envision yourself taking a bird scooter back to a hotel you know, when you're, when you're, you know, 10 years old and dreaming of playing in the bigs and cashing big paychecks, 
But that is what some of these younger guys um, who've been up and down a little bit have to do and who are still making their money and everything. So it was pretty funny. And, uh, you know, both friendly guys, they said hello to me and everything. So that was good. And I think it was a good story. I just think it's interesting that, you know, Orson O'Hill spent 12 years in the minor leagues, never made it to the bigs. Derek spent six plus years in the minors before he got his debut, still trying to find his footing a little bit. Um, a workout with Barry Bond made a big difference in in uh, Derek Hill's career. It sounds like from talking to uh, Derek's dad that Barry gave him some tough love. You know, it was real honest with him about his swing, about who he was as a player, and that made a little bit of a difference. You know, and then just to see Derek's thoughts on all this, I did ask. I was like, "What did eighteen-year-old Derek Hill most need to know?" You know, and Derek was kind of like, "Whoo." Patience, you know, patience, man. I didn't have any of that. I wanted everything now, now, now. So it was cool to just hear Derek be kind of reflective on his journey because he does seem like a guy who's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. In addition to quickly becoming one of the most exciting players on this team, he did some real nice things over that homestand all around. I think it shows why you don't necessarily have to be hitting the cover off the ball to make an impact. We saw him bump for a base hit. We saw him steal second, steal third make some great plays in the outfield, and he did have a couple of timely hits too. I think we talked last week about him uh, you know, taking that pitch on an 0-2 count and getting hit and getting on first base. So Derek's been super fun to watch. I hope we continue to see him in the lineup pretty regularly because I'm interested what he can do if he's able to get in a rhythm a little bit um, or interested to see what will happen to his offensive game once it really starts getting tested. Can he produce at just a high enough level to remain in the lineup on a, a fairly regular basis. Yeah, and safe to say, in my opinion, like Toledo at bats, more or less pointless for him at this point. Uh, you you got to see Major League pitching. We know he can have some sustained level of success, if healthy, against AAA pitching. I, I just, you know, at a certain point, you just got to be able to see it under the bright lights, you know, with the, with the highest stakes. And I think he's definitely earned that. Uh, real quick, we haven't done a um, like a little bit of a Matt Manning talk in a bit because he's just kind of been in the rotation. Uh, I was texting with a friend of mine uh, this week, the day that that Manning pitched against the Rangers, and he was, you know, he's kind of skeptical of him to be honest. And I said, well, you know, you, you got to trust Fetter and. You know, he's not really up in the bigs where at on a timeline that would have naturally occurred. He's done enough to have some positive vibes for me. But then he went out and he pitched, you know, pretty dang good games. Uh, six innings, struck out four, allowed four hits. I mean, I know it's the Rangers, so I'm not trying to, like, overhype it or anything. But just an, he, he's been solid, right? I mean, I, I feel like he's been solid and has been able to handle the moment and... I think when you're trying to see how these guys do in the big leagues, those are some of the intangible things that you have to look for. Because in theory, they're all talented enough to be there, just on pure talent. How can they handle situations? How can they handle the moment? How can they ride the ebbs and flows of a major league game, a major league season, a major league stretch? And on those aspects, I am very high on Matt Manning. The stuff, we'll see how it develops, what he does, but... In terms of those intangible things, I'm very happy with what I've seen. Yeah, it was it was probably the best start of his big league career. I do think he got away with some mistakes, especially early, that he might not have gotten away with against a better lineup. But we also saw some encouraging things. His fastball usage was way down, no longer ha- hovering around 75%. Um, he threw some really nice sliders, and I asked A.J. Hinch about that after the game. I was like, how difficult is it for a young pitcher to basically revamp a pitch mid-season like that's not an easy thing to do that's what guys do in the offseason and Matt Manning's up here doing it on the fly a pitch that he's never really thrown before with any level of consistency and he's kind of reshaping it and refining it and it's become you know he threw he threw some really nice ones he had his, the most success with this slider for sure in his last start and AJ was like yeah um, that's something we got to consider this is an instructional league like this is the big leagues And that's spot on. That's a tough thing to ask of Matt Manning, you know, as he's up here still getting his feet wet, probably still figuring out, like, 
what's the best time to get to the field and what's the best time to eat your pregame meal. Oh yeah, uh, we want you to totally redo your slider and make it into your second best pitch. Not easy. Um, he got you know into the sixth inning. I, I thought he got away with a little bit, but again, I thought we saw Matt Manning get a little bit better as the game went on, which has been a theme in a few of his starts now, and I think that's very encouraging. I'd still like to see him miss more bats. I think he had four strikeouts, again, against a bad lineup. I'd, I'd like to see some more swing and miss. But we're seeing progress, and as we've seen with Mize and Scooble, sometimes that's all you can ask for, especially when you're thrown into the fire um, here in the middle of July. So you just hope that that... Uh, you know, that that graph kind of keeps, that trajectory keeps moving in the right direction. Um, we saw some, for really for the first time, I was impressed with the progress I saw in Matt's start there against the Rangers. You like that Joey Gallo shift? You, you won't see it again. You like that Joey Gallo shift? I love it. I love it. You didn't see that in the NBA Finals. No four-man <laughs> outfield going on, you know, as the Suns. Like, I, I liked it. I thought it was electric. And uh, Joey, you know, he even squared to bunt once and nothing, nothing came of it. Some mind games going on. I love it. It's also another thing I put on Twitter, though. What would John McGraw think of this? You know, what would... It is weird to look at, and it's like, what sport are we playing here? But I love it. It's interesting. Yeah, and we'll see how, how much longer he is a Texas Ranger. I, that's one of the bigger organizational decisions they're going to have to make. Uh, so the Rangers fans I talk to more or less agree the right move is to trade him. Uh, and it's hard to argue that. A point that is worthy of a little conversation, a little contention, though, is what can and what should the Tigers do at the trade deadline as it is fast approaching. Uh, you and the media got to talk to Al this week. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just start there. I know Al is going to do word salad over and over and over again. But I did appreciate it because you've done this on the podcast, and I appreciated it, you doing it in your story, just repeating the phrase, that's a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> I, I, I think the listeners and the, and the regular Twitter followers, subscribers to The Athletic could, could pick up on what you were doing there. That's a good question. It's basically Al's uh, way of saying... Yeah, I know. I got to figure it out, but I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, is there was there anything to take away from Al in in the time you got? Because you know, it's you don't get to speak to the GM, the president of baseball operations, on a regular basis. Was there anything to take away, even between the line stuff? Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't take away a lot from it. I thought it was uh, Al was. Very bland, kind of stuck to the script, and you know I I understand it a little bit because he's the GM. He's trying to make some trades. He doesn't want to tip his hand too much, but especially on the trade front, it was hard to even get much insight on what he was thinking. Sometimes you look at GMs across the league, and they do give you a little bit of a better idea of who might be on the market or what they might be looking for in return. And some GMs can leverage the media to get that message out there a little bit more. Um, Al was definitely not doing that. He was keeping stuff pretty close to the vest, continued to talk about if we make a trade, it's because we want, um, we want it to make us better. And I do think that's a good philosophy. You know, is this trade going to make us better right now or in the future? And if not, you probably shouldn't do the trade. You could argue that's the case for any trade. That's a pretty simple method, but given where the Tigers are at in this rebuild, I do think that makes sense. He did get asked about Jonathan Scope, and he didn't say much, and so then I chimed in and was like, is extending Scope a consideration at all? And he just kind of looked and he said, you know, quite frankly, I'm not in a position to talk with you guys about that yet, or something to that effect. But then he did chuckle a little bit, and he said, that's a good question. And uh, everyone kind of laughed, and I got the sense of probably what he meant by that. Yeah, I'd love to extend Jonathan Scope. It's just not necessarily that simple or it probably would have already happened. We I think we talked about it on the pod last week, but you have to you have to navigate a lot of different factors. What are you actually going to get in return? I think Scott Boris is unlikely to just accept a mid-season uh, extension. And now I did along with Evan Petzold of the Free Press talk with Scope um, what was it? I think Sunday or, or no Thursday, Thursday before the game. 
and Scope was pretty candid. I thought he was most, you know, very rarely as a player going to be like, yeah, I want to be traded. But we kind of asked him, like, he really was the one who brought it up, talking about how much he's enjoying this young team, how he wants to continue to see them grow and be part of that development process. And they're like, so do you actually want to be here in the future or is that up in the air? And he was more enthusiastic than a lot of players, I think, would have been about um, just saying he wanted to be here. And A.J. Hinch brought it up Saturday in his media availability. He's like, yeah, the only thing Scope has said about trade rumors is that he wants to be a Tiger. And I really appreciate him having the willingness to say that, which I think might have been a little prod from the manager to be like, hey, Al, well, let's not let this guy get away, at least for not, at least not for nothing. So we will see what happens with Scope. Um, the Mariners have played well recently and are emerging as a team that could use a right-handed hitting second baseman. So in addition to the White Sox, I think those are two teams that could really make sense. Another fun thing, and one thing we didn't really ask Al about because the Tigers were still six games under 500, like nine games out uh, when we talked to them, and then they won, uh, I think, their next three what if the Tigers are at 500 at the trade deadline and like six games out of the wild card? Is, is there a world that we haven't really even talked about yet? Because it seems kind of crazy that the Tigers should almost try to buy. Uh, like we didn't really even entertain that idea with Al, but it could be somewhat of a consideration. Like, is there a way you could acquire a pitcher or a better middle infield bat? They're in a position where they could almost they'd be better off doing that than selling Jonathan Scope. Uh, the thing is, I don't think they have tradable assets in terms of buying. I don't think you want to trade any prospects. It would be tough to finagle a deal like that. But that could end up being another reason why the Tigers aren't eager to trade Scope or Cisnero. Or, uh, I'm starting to get the sense they're a little more interested in trading Jamer Candelario than they would have been a month ago when we, we talked about that a lot on this podcast. I think uh, I think they, they have some interest and have received some calls on Jamer, so we'll see what happens there. Okay, so a couple a couple things I kind of wanted to veer off to fr- from that point. Uh, in some cases, if there was a time for the team to get hot, one of the worst times would be right before the trade deadline because all this sample data that you had previous that tells you what the team is – is now disillusioned. So so let, let's just start there. We have to keep in mind in the midst of this enthusiasm that they're not playing the Red Sox these past you know seven games. They are playing teams that are either just bad like the Rangers or been huge disappointments like the Twins. So what is real and what isn't? How much of a mirage is this win streak is kind of what Al's got to determine if he's going to go in with a certain mindset to the trade deadline. So I'll ask you that. How much of this is a mirage a little bit? Like you got to come down a little bit and sort of face reality. Uh, yeah, I think going in, going to the park every day thinking you're going to win every game is obviously a little bit of a mirage, but the Tigers are above 500 since the start of May, I think 10 games above 500 since May 8th, so it's a little more than a hot streak. It's been some sustained success. Again, I see this Very probably true. leveling off a bit in August based on the schedule and based on injuries, but um, especially when you talk about not just selling the farm for anything, that's got to be a consideration. You're playing, you're playing really good baseball. You don't have to ship away Gregory Soto, who was under team control for several more years. You don't have to make these trades just to make trades. I, I think that's, I think that's legit. Like I think the seven and zero against the Twins and the Rangers can kind of get your head inflated a little bit, but. This team's been playing really good baseball for a prolonged stretch now, and and um, that's important, and it does have some implications in how you approach the trade deadline. Let me a little scatter with the Al thoughts here, so everyone please forgive me, but one of the things that really stuck out on Twitter when you guys had that availability was something to the effect of, we're not in a rebuild, we're not rebuilding, it was... Just from people tweeting out like a sentence of it, it came across very strong. Like, we're not in a rebuild. We're 
somewhere in between that and contenders or whatever is sort of like as I go through my Twitter field, the uh, Twitter feed is kind of how I was interpreting it. So you were there, you got the whole context, uh, and I know you put this in your story, but it, for you to kind of you know say it out loud, what did what did he really say? What was he really meaning there? Yeah, I didn't. I think if there was anything that maybe could have been a message to the rest of the league, that could have been Al doubling down on what AJ said on MLB Radio a couple weeks ago. If, if, if he wants other teams to know anything, it's we're not in this all-out rebuild. We're trying to build up. I rolled my eyes out a little. I didn't roll my eyes, but I didn't. I didn't take anything huge away from it because winter meetings 2019 in San Diego. Al gave this opening statement in which he said, we're building up, I think, at least three times. I, I wrote a big story about it, and there's a story in the free press that kind of panned him for saying it, and <laughs> I got it. Like I, th- I think it was um, a signal that the worst days were over, and that, that proved to be right, but the Tigers haven't really taken a lot of meaningful steps to quote-unquote build up um, from winter meetings 2019 to now, especially this past off season when I, I still think they could have done a little more than they actually did. So it was like, okay, building that, like that's, it was kind of just a word to me. Um, it has some more value to it, some more credence to it now that the Tigers are playing good baseball. Um, so we'll see, you know, what does that look like this off season? Are you really building like, and, and that goes beyond Al, and that goes up to ownership. If you're building, or you, how much are you willing to spend to build this thing? Um, so I didn't. I didn't really think it was anything new, to be honest with you. That's fair. And as I as I pursed through his uh, quotes, I got a really good chuckle because obviously, as you know, I'm no stranger to press conferences and, and you know coaches or executives and how they phrase things and sort of where the holes in their sentences are, or maybe there's some redundancies or some inconsistencies. So I found an inconsistency when he was talking about shortstop. And he's like, yeah, we got to upgrade shortstop, but we got to upgrade everywhere else. We really like Zach short. I don't want to like sell, I don't want to sell him short, but we got to (laughs) upgrade that position. And I and it was it was basically just one big parking lot donut is basically what that statement was. Yeah. I, I got a chuckle out of it. No offense is act short, but I got a chuckle out of it. No, I did. I, I thought Al was trying a little too hard to cover all his bases in that answer, and and really, I think his entire availability this past week. Um, I don't know. I think he could have just came out and said, "Yeah, like improving shortstop is a priority for us," but. I guess he didn't want to hurt Zach Short's feelings and he didn't maybe he thought he was like taking leverage away from himself this offseason if he just makes it clear like we only want a shortstop. I, I I think he was overthinking it to where it's like, yeah, well, we also want to upgrade third base and second base and we we want to upgrade the entire team. It's like, okay, well like now we know. Now you're like we know that. Now you're just kind of talking just to talk. I wrote in my story where I kind of broke down what he meant. Look, there's a problem if Zach Short is your opening day shortstop next year. And I like Zach Short a lot. He's also MVP interview. He he talked after one of those games against the Rangers and just gave a great post-game press conference. He's the type of quote that this team needs a little more of. <laughs> him and him and Jake Rogers are really uh providing some good quotes and good interviews and good content that this team is, has kind of lacked a little bit the past couple years. So there's that. I hope he sticks around as a, and can hit enough to be a utility guy. I love his defense. There, but why? Like, did did you really have to bring up Zach Short in that answer? I think Zach Short is also self-aware and probably knows that um, he's unlikely to be the starting shortstop unless he, you know, hits 300 with 20 bombs for the rest of this year, which is not going to happen. So. Yeah, you have a problem there. You need to upgrade shortstop. I don't think we have to be like evasive about that or or do a parking lot donut. Uh, whether it's free agency, whether it's via trade, that's another question. But you got to upgrade shortstop. So so like that's just the truth. And anything else is just like talking in circles. So let, let's go back to that Jamer thing because that was that's like a new way of looking at an old topic that we've talked about because we've been pretty consistent as saying like 
He's one of your more productive players. People like him. Solid defense. Like, not really looking to trade him. After that notion was kind of brought to you, has it marinated a little bit? Or is there a... Got, should, if you got to trade somebody, is it like a Jonathan Scope versus Jamer Candelario thing? Like, wh- where's your head at as you examine the landscape of the team and what might be the more advisable move? Because the, like I said, the Jamer things, that's a, that's a relatively new concept if, if we're talking about trading Jamer. I think if he was traded right now, most people would be surprised. Yeah. So I know, I, I can say like for a fact, there's, I don't know like how serious, but there have been some discussions with other teams about Jamer. Um, the rest of this is not really sourced information as much as it's speculating. But when I was kind of thinking, okay, why might they suddenly be more willing to trade Jamer? I do get the sense that Scope wants to be a Tiger, that AJ Hinch would like Scope to be a Tiger. Again, that's speculation, but eh, you know, there, there's been enough said at this point where I don't think that's a stretch. And then you start looking at the numbers. Okay, if you really want to sign a shortstop, as we've talked about before, how much can you pay scope? Well, it might be a little easier to pay something to scope if you trade Jamer. Jamer is going to get probably about $6 million in arbitration this offseason. Um, and he has two more ARB years eligible. So you're looking at devoting probably twelve to $13 million to Jamer Candelario. I think scope... I mean, it's a guess. It really depends on how he finishes this season. But I think about 8 mil a year could be a, a, a pretty safe deal if he finishes the year um, about like he's playing right now. And it's like having both of those contracts and adding a shortstop and trying to add elsewhere does get to be a lot. 6 mil doesn't sound like a ton, but when you are still a team that's operating under somewhat of a budget, like, that's a significant financial investment for a guy in Jamer who, although we like, although he's a solid player, still has not quite done enough to be like, okay, I'm the guy, I'm the future. Uh, so I, I do think there's a world in which they could almost have to kind of choose between one of those two guys. Now there's a world in which they, they choose neither of them too. But I think that might be playing into it a little bit. Honestly, I think I'm still... I don't love the idea of trading Jamer because even though he's uh, cooled down a little bit, again, who who are you trying to get in return if you trade Jamer Candelario? I think you're basically trying to get another Jamer Candelario. I mean, maybe a Jamer Candelario who can play middle infield, but in terms of like the production, you're trying to get a solid major league bat and you're not going to acquire a star for candy. So I I just don't think that trade gets you anywhere if anything, maybe it you do face the possibility of a future logjam when you look at, uh, and you throw scope in this too, but Willie Castro, Isak Paredes, now Cody Clemens coming up, even Gage Workman. But you're not sure about any of those guys at all. You're more sure about Jamer than you can be any of those guys at this point. So I think he, he would have to have a pretty solid offer to move Jamer, but I think especially if you throw it in the context of looking at what would it take to keep Jonathan Scope around, which number one, as much as I think that would be a good move for the Tigers, I just think it's going to be really difficult to make happen. Um, I, I think that's probably why Jamer has become more of a trade consideration again. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, as of right now, I sort of would if like if I was Al, I'd be like, okay, I'm holding the cards here with Jamer, like similar to the Soto conversation, in my opinion, but not as much because I do believe Soto to have. It's not really breaking news here, but like a higher ceiling. I mean, he was just an all star, uh, but like a similar notion is is how I would kind of go in that. It's like if okay, if you want Jamer, you're gonna have to sort of like open the conversation with something that's gonna get me interested. And because I've I've got more with Jamer in my back pocket than I do with Jonathan Scope, who obviously, as we know, impending free agent could want a certain amount of money, you know, complicating factors, which, by the way, um, you know, how highly regarded are those comp picks like the comp pick that would come for Scope? Is that how much does that really factor in? Because I know. Like, in, you know, I always like to draw parallels. In football, that's a huge part of team building. And it's like, you let a free agent go, you get that comp pick the next year. And those are highly coveted assets. 
baseball GMs look at it that way? Um, I think it's definitely consideration. I think that's part of why the, the qualifying offer exists. And I think it exists especially to help out teams like uh, not necessarily the Tigers, but if you're like the Royals, like you're a smaller market that maybe can get to a place where it just can't afford certain guys. I think that's why the rule exists. It's a little bit of a competitive balance type of rule. I think in terms of like, yeah, I think it matters because you got to look at it like with scope. Do we let them walk for absolutely nothing or do we try to get something for them while we can? Um, with certain players, okay, you can offer them a qualifying offer and if he declines it and signs elsewhere, you get a draft pick in return. So then you, you didn't get him for totally nothing. You didn't get him for a sure thing either, but you're going to get a decent draft pick that maybe could turn into a major league player. I, I think it can decentivize um, having to trade guys so much. Now with scope, the qualifying offer is is usually pretty pretty high. Last year was like $18 million. So if you're Jonathan Scope and you get offered $18 million, well... I think I would accept that because that's probably what he would get, be getting paid the next two years on any other deal. So that that's why the Tigers probably won't offer him a qualifying offer. You don't want to risk getting locked into paying $18 million for Jonathan Scope. He's just not going to be worth um, quite that. And honestly, you could have a great year and still not be worth anything close to $18 mil. So I think the, the qualifying offers are a consideration. I kind of like the idea of him offering one to... A certain Nick Castellanos a couple years ago, but I think at that point the Tigers were still trying to bring down their payroll, and that's one reason that that didn't happen. Um, man, wouldn't it be nice do to you, have Nick do Castellanos? Do you bring up Nick team? more than any other beat writer? And I think I, I think, and I think that's a good thing. I'm not. It's not criticism. I think it's a very valid point. I think I think Nick gets brought up a lot, mostly when someone flies out to deep right center <laughs> in Comerica Park. I'm not the only one who brings it up, but I I think I think especially not so much the beat writers, but like Tigers Twitter and the mistakes they like to pay in the front office for. Look, they're not all wrong. Yeah, you probably should have found a way to get something more back for JD Martinez, and the trade record isn't great. If you look at situations that were really avoidable, I think I think the Knicks situation was avoidable. I think he either could have been extended earlier, or he could have um, been traded earlier, or the Tigers kind of backed themselves into the corner, and I know the market wasn't great for him. I'm also not sure why they didn't extend him earlier. Uh, I, I talked to Nick Castellanos, who once told me, you know, I, I don't remember what offseason it was, 17 or 18, Alavila had come out. This is in the clips if anyone wants to go back and find it. Um, that Alavila had said, oh, yeah, like we offered or reached out to Castellanos about an extension. Nick Castellanos claimed that that never actually happened. And I was kind of like, well, that must suck. And he's like, yeah, it really sucked. There wasn't really anything I could do about it. Cause I couldn't come out and say like, that's BS. That's going to make me look bad. That's going to sour my relationship with the team. But the bottom line is his relationship with the team and with the front office was soured by the 2019 trade deadline when he ultimately left. And sure enough, he's now tearing it up in Cincinnati, tore it up with the Cubs right after he moved. There was something, the environment became pretty toxic. I think where Nick wasn't happy on the Tigers. Um, I think the Tigers were maybe kind of tired of, of that negative energy. But I just don't think it ever had to get to that point. And I think like Castellanos would just be the perfect piece for this team to have right now. So it, it's all um, kind of revisionist history, like water under the bridge. But I, I think we don't talk enough. It's not just the trade, like... Um, Alex Lang and Logan Shore, like, I don't know. It's not just the trade, or Alex Lang and Paul Rashawn, excuse me. I mix up those two guys a lot. Um, it's not just the trade that should be criticized. I think it's everything leading up to that trade that could have been avoided or at least handled a little bit better. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think uh, we, we, we sort of got to look big picture and look at all the factors when we evaluate front offices, ownerships, managers, coaches, whatever. And, like, I don't necessarily think the trade was a bad trade because I'm focused on what led to that, as you so eloquently explained. I think that's a bigger black mark than the trade itself. So I, th I think it's important to sort of 
look at the timeline of events with this stuff and see like why this situation had to play out the way it did. And one of the best things about the scope situation right now is that it seems like, and again, this is what he said, and you were there, you interpreted it as genuine. Seems like he's happy, um, you know, being one of the older guys, even though he's only 29, being the older guy with the Tigers, uh, compared it to when he was a young pup with uh, Nelson Cruz, which I thought was really cool, especially given that Nelson Cruz still raking, still, you know, just got traded uh, himself to Tampa. So at least we can say that it feels like a healthier environment with the team right now. Uh, and again, probably got to give a lot of credit to A.J. Hinch. And I would also say some credit to Gardenhire because, as you said, you observed that team for the past couple of years. Didn't really feel like a down clubhouse despite the record. Seemed like Gardy did a pretty good job there. Uh, so we wrap up the Al talk. Did he give any sort of glimpses? Because the stakes are a little bit lower in the short term. So maybe he, hopefully it was a little bit more open here. Did he kind of give a little bit of a glimpse into how they're going to manage these draft picks, all of which or most of which at this point are signed, including the top two? Uh, did he kind of give a little bit of glimpse into the plan? Like, is there going to be a professional debut for Jackson Job and Isaac Pacheco like, and, and Ty Madden, who had a long college season? Like, did he kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. He said the organization had a big Zoom meeting that included Al and A.J. Hinch and Chris Fetter um, and Dave Littlefield, the uh, director of player development, and like Dan Hubbs, the, the um, director of pitching development. They had like 20 people in this meeting. Like, number one, that's a lot of people. Like, I wonder how people were able to get in and talk in this meeting. A lot of but, voices in a room, a lot but, of cooks uh, in the kitchen there. But I think it's interesting that it did encompass the entire organization, including the major league staff, AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter. I could be wrong, but I would say most big league managers and pitching coaches probably aren't too concerned with like what their draft picks, the most recent draft picks are going to be doing for the next couple months. I would say that's probably a rarity. It sounds like we're still figuring out the exact plan, but some of these college pitchers who have thrown some more innings who, um, you know, like Ty Madden pitched in the College World Series, probably are not going to throw in competitive games um, the rest of the summer. Like Madden will be on a workout program and a throwing program, but they're going to take it easy and be a little bit cautious with him. Just like the guys at the major league level, these college and high school arms generally still missed a lot of time with the COVID shutdowns. There's something to kind of limiting their workload. I think it's kind of an interesting balance because I think underuse is also a thing. So how do you keep these guys sharp and keep them developing without overdoing it? Um, and, and Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, I think he discusses that a lot. So that's kind of an interesting balance with some of the younger guys, specifically Jackson Job. Um, I think the goal is hopefully to get him pitching at least a little bit by the end of this summer. The thing with Job, he hasn't thrown since the middle of May, since his last high school game. So you kind of have to get him in, build him back up, make sure he's in a good place. And I wouldn't be shocked if we see him throw, you know, a couple two to three inning stints in Lakeland by the end of the year. But it's not like he's going to be up and running right away. Al actually didn't address Isaac Pacheco, but I'm guessing since he's a position player, you can you can throw him in, in somewhere. The thing is, you don't have the New York Pin League. You don't have that short season A affiliate where a lot of guys would kind of spend this time. Coming out of high school, he could play in um, maybe the GCL or something, and we'll see if they think he's ready to play in Class A Lakeland. I, I think the elimination of the New York Pin League is tough. It's going to make you either have to, it's going to make you take it a little slower with some of these guys versus you throw them into Class A, which uh, they might not be quite ready for. Shout out to the New York Penn League. A lot of great prospects started there. Uh, my mom's hometown has one of the teams there. Hudson Valley Renegades, longtime affiliate of the Rays. So basically, you know, the Rays were terrible for all those years. So all those number one overall, number two overall, number three overall picks, that's where they made their professional debut. So the, my mom's hometown got to see a lot of those great guys. Josh Hamilton, Evan Longoria spend like three games there, and they're like, okay, you're good. Move on up. <laughs> Craig Monroe got his start there as well, by the way. Hey, uh, New, York, 
New York Penn League playing for the Renegades. So, all right, we got to get into some injuries. Uh, we talked about it last week being like, you know, heavy, and it didn't get lighter this week, Cody. The heaviest news, uh, most devastating for organization and person, obviously, Spencer Turnbull is going to have to undergo Tommy John's surgery. Uh, it's funny, I was having, I was texting a, a buddy, a Rangers fan. Um, he's like, why is Mize, you know, on an innings limit? I mean, he was, he lights out. Like, why didn't they let him go longer? And later that day, the news of Turnbull, and I was like, yeah, dude, that's why. I mean, that's why. So, uh, what, can you give a little glimpse into kind of what went into why they opted for that? Because it was a relatively long time period to come to this decision. Yeah, it was one of those things where you got a sense that it could be trending this way for a while and you just hoped um, that that wouldn't happen, that maybe he'd be shut down for the rest of the season or something but wouldn't require uh, reconstructive surgery. turns out that's not the case. A.J. Hinch was saying it's a little bit unusual. A lot of the times when guys require Tommy John, there's kind of one isolated event, you know, where where that UCL basically just can't take it anymore and you feel a pop and you have to get Tommy John. That wasn't really the case with Turnbull. He had some forearm tightness. I guess the initial evaluation, I don't know all the technicalities of it, but it wasn't necessarily that he had to have Tommy John. It wasn't getting better. The more they looked at it, there was kind of some chronic damage in that elbow that they decided was best to get surgically repaired. Any pitcher is going to have damage to Uh, probably their elbow to their UCL because it's taxed so much. It's just kind of like, what is the level of that damage? I guess with Turnbulls, it was was bad enough that it it required reconstructive surgery. The timing of it is super unfortunate. Not only had he thrown a no-hitter, not only was he having a great year, he's out for the rest of this year, but he's going to miss all, most if not all of next season. I think that's really unfortunate for a guy who seemed to be making big strides in his career. Uh, It's also unfortunate for the Tigers as you think about constructing their roster and their pitching staff. Like, you didn't necessarily have to add a starter as much as we like to talk about will they get Justin Verlander back or whatever. Uh, You didn't necessarily have to add a starting pitcher, at least not on like a a major league deal. And I think you almost do now because you're going to have Mize, Manning, Scooble. I don't know what's going to, I don't know. Matthew Boyd, I think, could get non tendered. We'll see what happens there. like, you needed Turnbull to be part of that rotation next year. You need him to be a big part of that rotation. And you're not going to have that if he pitches in the big leagues at all. It'll be probably like Michael Fulmer in 2019 where it's, or 2020 where it's like this isn't actually the real Spencer Turnbull. He's fresh off surgery. We're probably not going to see the real Spencer Turnbull again until 2023, which uh, sounds like forever. And I'm sure that's got to be difficult for him as he kind of stares into a long road ahead, um, a difficult recovery process. So super unfortunate, especially for a guy who seemed to have really, um, found his niche, found his place and, and was able to be himself and pitch like himself, but it's a tough game. You know, this is how it goes. Yeah. You know, I always remember, um, Oral Hershiser said this on either baseball the night or on a TV on a, you know, during a game or whatever. And it's always stuck with me. It's, uh, you know, athletes over the course of time gotten bigger, stronger, faster. You can train, you can strength build, you can increase flexibility. You can do all these things, but you can't train a ligament. And so when the bigger, stronger, faster, more force is on these ligaments that are, basically all the same that you know you, you you go down this road where you have a lot of injuries whether it be like you know ACLs in football or you know Tommy Johns in, in baseball I think that's something that I always I always come back to that I don't know I've never heard anyone else say that but I've always come back to that it's like a ligament's a ligament if you have more muscle around it and you have more you know technique around it you're just literally putting more strain on it i mean that's why maybe we see more achilles tears in other sports because you know the human it's like i say all the time the human body wasn't meant to be seven foot 300 pounds and run on literal hardwood jump and cut 
you know, it just wasn't meant to be like that. The human body wasn't meant to have the amount of force that goes into a 96 mile an hour fastball and do that a hundred times in over the course of a couple hours. I mean, these are extraordinary physical specimens, but eventually, sometimes, unfortunately, the the body breaks and, and it sucks. Same thing with Jake Rogers, although obviously on a smaller scale, but that looks scary there for a second. Yeah, I mean, it still is. I mean, he has a, a forearm injury that apparently is common in catchers. And if you think about it, catchers are throwing that ball, you know, back on every pitch. They they probably use their arm uh, more than any player except the pitcher. So at first, the Tigers were hoping it'd only be two, three weeks. That's not the case. Jake Rogers, he's going to have to be shut down and, and rest, and they hope they can get him back at some point in September. Even that, I'm wondering, you know, it sounded like that was kind of best case scenario. I think that's a huge blow to the Tigers because Jake had been playing so well. I posted um, the ERAs. I think Tigers pitchers had a 3.97 ERA with Jake Rogers behind the plate, noticeably lower than with any other catcher. Now, the, the timing of when Rogers got to the big leagues might have had some impact on that, but... Um, I mean, you could just see it. He was sequencing pitches really well. Pitchers looked very comfortable throwing to him. He was doing some good things at the plate, too. And now you lose that. And when you look big picture, I think that also makes things complicated. Because I'm like, what does, what do you do with the catcher position next year? Do you try to add a veteran guy when it's going to be a very similar market? You'd probably get some guy on a one-year deal who's hopefully better than Wilson Ramos. but Or do you roll with... Jake and Eric Haas, that depends on how Eric Haas finishes this season. Granted, Haas has played well for an extended period now. Um, so you go into next season with, like, this is going to be Jake and Haas's show. And I still think either of them, like, you didn't quite see enough of Jake to be 100% confident, especially in the bat. Um, I think we need to see Haas for a little longer to really think you can roll into next season with just those two guys. But if you sign someone else... Okay, does that create a blockade? Like, how quickly do you think Dylan Dingler can get to the big leagues? Do you want him catching in the big leagues next season? Do you know he's been great, but he's also cooled off in double-A? I think this injury to Rodgers just puts the entire catching situation for next year in limbo a little bit. Um, I guess the good news is we get more of a look at Haas as a result of this. And unfortunately, we get more of a look at Grayson Griner. No offense <laughs> to Grayson, but I think we've, you know, I think we know what Grayson is. Um, maybe this is a chance for him to do something and make himself, uh, you know, maybe earn a roster spot elsewhere. But I, I would like to think, you know, his days playing in the big leagues in Detroit were probably numbered, if not for this, this injury. So it, it, it's a loss for the entire team and the entire organization because Jake had been making such an impact. Yep, that's very true. And uh, on the minor injury notes, uh, Isak Paredes, uh, hip strain, and uh, still waiting on Nico Goodrum, which, uh, by the way, you look at the transaction page on the official Detroit Tigers website, uh, Paredes listed as shortstop, and Nico listed as a first baseman. So That is interesting. So I did not know there, that. I wonder why is that is. Is there something to it? I, I don't, I'm not making any assumptions. I'm just telling you what the facts are. So uh, we're going to do this every week. We're going to do a little new segment. It's going to be called the AJ Hinch Suggestion Box because we've joked that we've talked about stuff and then it ends up happening. Fulmer as a closer, Akil Badu batting leadoff, and shortly thereafter, it happens. So we're, we're just going to have a little fun with it. Uh, come up with some some concepts, some things we'd like to see, and see if it plays out. So I'll, I'll go first. This is not going to be popular, but I think there's a purpose to it, so that's why I'm saying it. Willie Castro is now back up in the big leagues. And, by the way, came back in a big way with the bat when, once he was recalled. Play him at shortstop. Not because I think he can do it at a high level. Play him at shortstop because, number one, you got as many questions at shortstop as you do anywhere on the field, especially in the infield. So might as well give him another try there. Number two, AJ's definitely been a manager this year that has tried to instill confidence in the players by putting them in 
like prove it situations, like situations that if they do succeed, will have some long term or not long term, but some residual effects that, that that can carry over. So I think if you put him back at shortstop, which is the position he opened up the season at, maybe that gives a little bit of a confidence boost, especially if the bat is going a little bit. You don't got to play him there every day, but put, put him, give him some games at short because that's what he came in as that experiment was quickly uh doled away with but if he's gonna keep hitting i assume he'd like to play the premier position so you know why not give him a shot there why not give him a shot there almost consider it in a way of like making tyler alexander like a spot starter where it's like this is what he would really like to do um let's reward him with a little bit more of a glamorous position uh, of sorts and so don't gotta do it long but it's not like you're you're still playing with shortstop if you have Zach Short who is great defensively hasn't proven that much with the bat or Paredes who I think has a lot of promise generally speaking but not really a natural shortstop so I think you play him a couple games at short see what happens I think that'd be a good thing for AJ Hinch so that that is my AJ Hinch suggestion box of the week why why do you hate me karen why look it's been a <laughs> it's been a tough summer i mean i'm coming off a tough year a global pandemic i lost my car in a flood I've just not had much luck dating wise and you're trying to make me watch more willie castro at shortstop like i thought i was done i thought i didn't have to subject subject myself to that that horror anymore uh, I think, as I said last week, Willie Castro should be moved to the outfield. Occam's razor, the simplest solution is sometimes the best. What do we know? We know Willie Castro is not a good infielder. So why are we still playing him in the infield? If you have faith in his bat, see if he can hit enough to merit a corner outfield spot. That is my Willie Castro suggestion. Uh, my other for AJ Hinch is a little bit of a stretch. We're probably going to be wrong on more of these. Now it's like a weekly feature instead of like just saying things that make sense. But how about for the rest of the time that you have Jonathan Scope on this team, whether it's a week or whether it's a couple more months or a couple more years, how about play him at second base, where he was a gold glove finalist at second base? I think that would be um, just good for your lineup, and I, I wouldn't be opposed to, if you keep Jamer Candelario, playing him at some first base. Move him back over there, especially since we're not back to not really being locked in on him at as the answer at third, I think that allows you to play some Paredes at third base um, or at short. Like, I just think playing scope in his natural position is only going to help him more, um, only make him more valuable. You can have some Miguel at first. I, You know, they've experimented with Haas at first base. I, you could play some more Haas at first, although that's not as, as important with, um, with Jake being on the IL now. But that, that, that would be something I would just like to see more out of. I'm, I don't know if it'll happen, but I don't, think it, I don't think it hurts you. I think it only helps you to play scope in his natural position. And, you know, forever it's worth. You know, obviously this publishes before the trade deadline, uh, a week before the trade deadline. Maybe you play scope at second base just to let everybody else know that, hey, he can still do it There's technically. That too. There's that too, absolutely. You know, sh- showcase him a little bit, so... So yeah, we'll we'll try to come up with fun concepts. It's sort of like our bold predictions at the beginning of the season. Although you blew it out of the park with uh, with Fulmer being a closer, because that did look like a thing there for a bit. Uh, Daniel Norris being a formidable starter did not go well for me. But uh, yeah, just a little fun little you know concept things we like to see, and you know maybe it'll, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. So you you referenced the car. Uh, you you got your I referenced it at the beginning of this podcast. You got yourself a new set of wheels. Uh, how do you feel? Do you feel dare I say douchey with a Mustang? No, no, not at all. No, I feel I'm I'm, I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling confident. Maybe that means douchey, but uh, if that's the case. I don't care. I've I've, I've got the Ford Mustang. Kind of always my dream car it's it's gray you know feel like i got a good deal on it we got leather interior um loving the car very proud of it definitely definitely probably the most what year 
try not to uh it's a, it's a 2017 okay. i looked at a 2019 that was white that i really liked and i wanted them to come down just like a grand but they wouldn't budget all so uh i got i got this 17 you know still still pretty new and everything so loving it i try not to be like a material possessions guy but it's definitely the most proud i've been of any like material item i've had in my life so definitely happy about that um Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I said, hopefully this is part of like turning a new page. Things are about to start going well. We're not going to see Willie Castro <laughs> at shortstop anymore. Maybe we won't even have to see him at second base anymore. Maybe Willie Castro moves to the outfield right when I start driving my Mustang. And that's just a sign that, that the rest of 2021 is going to be bright. That's what I'm hoping for. So just a little, just a small little anecdote before we wrap up here. Uh, my, my dad being... Being a, a, a Motown man that he is, uh, classic, classic go- cl- excuse me, classic car guy, always has some sort of 70s, 80s, 90s car um, that he'll have for six months, improve a couple things on it, d- does it himself, you know, a little bit amateur mechanic, and, and then sell it, and then he'll get another one. That's that's something that he always does, and he had a uh, 89 Mustang convertible when I was 16 years old, he let me drive that to school. He also let me drive it to pick up a girl on a date. Hey. And I pulled up to the house. I knocked on the door, did the respectful thing. Her father comes out and he looks at me and he looks at the car and he has a concern, <laughs> a concerned look on his face. And he goes, are you a good driver? And I, you know, I, I, I actually played it really well. I turned around, I look at the car, I look back at him. I go, "Sir, that is my father's prized possession. He would let not let me drive it if I was not a good driver." And that was good enough <laughs> for this girl's father. I was not good enough for this girl. I don't. I, 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 I ended up. We went on like a couple dates, a couple group dates, and. Went for the kiss eventually. You know, you're 16, you wait a little longer, you know. Went for the kiss eventually and rejected. So it does not have a happy ending, but it is a fun anecdote related to the Mustang. He probably thought I was a douche. He probably did. <laughs> he was wrong. He was wrong. And I had another thought. Look, some people might think the Mustang is douchey. Come inside. Sit down. You're going to like it. <laughs> You're going to think it's awesome, okay? Man, woman, whatever, you're going to like the Mustang, okay? Hopefully someone will take you up on that offer <laughs> in the near future. So on that note, we're going to get out of here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple and Spotify. There is a subscription special going on right now at The Athletic hell of a deal um cody's tweeting out links his colleagues are tweeting out links uh very easy to find highly recommend you take advantage of that deal and we will talk next week and we'll have some answers to these trade deadline questions so we'll be very interested to see what the tigers end up doing so for cody stavenhagen i am kieran seckley thank you for listening